This week we're talking about knowing when enough is enough with David Thompson, and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. I'm excited for this episode, not only because, well, I'm excited for pretty much every episode, I suppose, but I had the opportunity to sit down with David Thompson, who is admittedly one of my favorite photographers last night. We had a conversation late last night, and we kind of talked about a whole bunch of different things. I really tried picking his brain about post-processing because David's post-processing is among some of my favorite of anybody that I can think of. I've always really loved David's work. Make sure you check out his work on his website. That's just davidthompsonphotography.com. He posts a lot there that never makes it to social media because he doesn't really play the social media game as much as a lot of us. But we had a great conversation. Make sure you go check out his website. Let's jump into that talk that I had with David Thompson where we talk about a bunch of different things, including post-processing. sitting down with the one the only the magnificent david thompson it's awesome to have you on the show again man nick thanks a lot appreciate it it's cool to have you on i feel like i talk about you in almost every episode people know you already practically i'm trying to get up to your status though man everybody knows nick page man just because i'm constantly in their face because i attack them from every single social media platform ever (laughs) david uh really excited to have you on the show because i've talked you up a bunch of different times like i'm always when i anytime i talk about post-processing i always talk about the masterful the amazing david thompson and we were starting to talk about it uh before i hit record so i quickly hit record because i figured we should record this you know the conversation and all but what I love so much about your post-processing style is the fact that it's it's stylized and it's processed to a point of you know having feeling and having mood but it's it's still very real just so tasteful and I I love your work and I want to know all your secrets so just lay them out right now (laughs) well first of all I gotta say thanks a lot appreciate uh you having me on again um appreciate all the the kind words and you know all the uh, positive stuff you said about my work. I, I, I greatly appreciate it. And I can't thank you enough. But the whole post-processing, it, it's... And I think I mentioned it before, probably on you know somewhere else or I don't know. It's one of those things where it takes time. You don't pick it up overnight. It just does not happen. Just like the next day, boom, you're good. You, you got it and whatever else. It's It's a marathon. You just got to continue to follow that marathon and continuously work at it. When I first started my photography journey, I had no idea, no direction. I just wanted to just go out and shoot, take pictures, make them look good, you know, move a couple sliders, do my thing. And that was it. As the years went on, um, I was like, this just isn't working. I, you know, I'm not getting the look that I want and I needed to start refining my work which we kind of previously talked about before we started uh, recording, I continuously try to refine my work to make it a little bit better every year. Mm-hmm. So it's not one of those things where you, you, you learn this 
all your processing, you know, you got this toolbox, you, you got everything that you can throw at these images and it's just not, it's just not done. Um, you have to continuously work at your craft and, you know, the more you work at it and what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. For sure. So that's pretty much my motto when it comes to my post-processing. Go ahead. And, you know, and as we're talking about this, I think it would be beneficial for people to go over as they're listening to this episode and just check out some of David's work because, you know, you can, you can say that somebody's work is beautiful, but unless you're actually looking through it, <laughs> it's hard to appreciate just how great it is. And, you know, I'm very familiar with your photography, but I was kind of surfing through your website today and you have so much work that I haven't ever seen because oh. you just, you, first of all, you don't post much social media, yeah. but your work is so deep and you have so much of it <laughs> and yeah. it's all so damn good. I hate man. you, man. Well, I feel the I feel the same about your work. I'm, I'm trying to, like I said, I'm trying to catch up with all you guys. Um, <laughs> and I think one of the things that a lot of us artists, you know, when we first start out, we have a you know a hard time trying to find our style. For me, when I would look at all these images, they were they were beautiful. You know, there's so many guys out there making you know amazing work. But I always said, whatever I'm shooting, it has to make sense to me. So. Uh, whether it be you know the light, the contrast, um, texture, what I'm seeing, it needs to make sense in the photo, and I like my processing to go along with that. So one of the things I always say too is I let the light dictate how I shoot and how I process, um, and that's been my motto, you know, for the longest time, and that has helped me stay consistent. It's helped me keep my vision true to how I feel and what I see and, and, and that kind of thing. But then the more stuff that you shoot, the more scenes that you shoot, different conditions, uh, different landscapes, that also will take your post-processing to another level. Um, if you're shooting seascapes all the time, you're going to have you know the same, the same form blood. It's going to be water, rock, sky, sun bracket images, three or four stops until you get, you know, the complete dynamic range, which is awesome. But what happens when you go into a forest scene, you're not going to have that same approach to yeah. a forest scene or an intimate scene. Yeah. It's a totally different skill set too. You know, just being able to scout composition in those different scenarios is a, it's a completely different skill set as well. Right. That's right. So I've always wanted to be uh, diverse in my work was I feel like all of the great artists, regardless of what you're looking at. I mean, it could be photography, music, I don't know, uh, a piano player or, you know, a jazz musician or whoever it is. Every one of the top great artists, they're very diverse. You know what I'm saying? If you look at, like, you can take your favorite rock band, whoever it is. Who's your favorite rock band, for example? Uh, I guess Tool right now. Okay, Tool. Perfect <laughs> example, right? Over the years, Tool has... They made tons of hits, right? But over the years, you know, their music will change just a little bit, but mm -hmm. it still has the same aesthetics as maybe when you first heard them when they first came out. But they're artists, so over time, they're going to mature. Their thought process is going to change a little bit. Um, the sound is going to change a little bit, but sonically, it's still the same. It's the same thing with photography. It's the exact same thing. Over time, your your art, your vision, your thought process is going to change a little bit, but 
the aesthetics of what you do and how you make those images is still going to be the same. Well, let's talk a little bit about how you make your images. Like, I, so I know the answer to this already, but I'm guessing you are a Photoshop post-processor, not just a Lightroom or Capture One or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't, it's funny. I can't even tell you how to operate Lightroom. I have clients, like, <laughs> I have clients that come in and they have like Lightroom catalogs. I have no idea how to use Lightroom at all. So whoever's out there listening, I'll just be the first to tell you, I don't know anything about Lightroom. <laughs> don't ask him Lightroom questions. So you must, your workflow must start like in a bridge or something like that. And yeah. then you drag stuff over into Photoshop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all my cataloging is done through bridge, really, you know, basic, um, you know, basic file setup, location, just basically location. If I go to multiple locations, you know, I may have like location in the year. Um, something like that. You know, I open that file up, opens up in Adobe, Adobe Camera Raw, and that's where, you know, I start my magic. Um, believe it or not, my processing is actually very simple. You know, I, I try to, it's almost kind of dumbed down to some degree, but it's not very, you know, all this trickery. <laughs> it's really, really, really simple. My thought process is I'll try to get the image as close as I can in camera and then fine tune it when I get into Photoshop. One of the things that I love so much about your post-processing style is like you have a control over your color. Yep. A lot of your, your stuff, you can tell that you've either put a lot of thought behind what colors are present or you're just restricting the colors to where, yes. you know, you are in full control over that. Can maybe, can you talk a little bit about that? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, all about color separation for me, all about color separation. And it starts at the raw file. Um, a lot of times you'll see a lot of artists, they'll start the, the file from the raw state. They'll start it too warm. And just kind of a tip for people out there listening. If you guys start your files out too warm, nine times out of 10, when you get to Photoshop and you get to doing contrast and your color adjustments and that kind of thing, you're going to end up with a color cast, which when you have a color cast, you're not going to get your color separation. So right. with that being said, a lot of times I end up starting my images out a lot cooler than warmer. I like to build up any kind of warmth within the scene. Um, I like to build that up. One of the tools that I use in ACR is the targeted adjustment tool. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm sure you are. Um, yeah. Yeah. So with that target adjustment tool, depending on, you know, what kind of scene I'm shooting, I'll use that target adjustment tool on every single color within that image. But mind you, I'm starting off with a cooler white balance too. Um, a lot of times when you start off with those cooler white balances, you can, you can spread the colors out a lot more. And then, you know, like I said, if you want to say, for instance, if you got like some greens that you want to warm up, I can always bring that into, you know, Photoshop and, you know, do like a selective color or, you know, something like that. And then warm those greens up as needed. But that target adjustment tool, man, I will go in and I'll adjust that luminance. Uh, you know, I'll give it a little bit of, you know, saturation, but it's very subtle. Because I do mm -hmm. know once I get into Photoshop, when I start doing my contrast adjustments, that it's going to add color to what's already there. So I have to be mindful of that. So it's, it's, I always like to say you like to kind of go in with a gentle hand. And more times than none, I'll come in maybe with a little flatter image out of uh, ACR and then kind of build up stuff when I get into Photoshop. 
just for that reason of the you know color separation and to avoid those color casts. And what's cool about what you're saying is it really resonates with me, even though I operate in a different way. A lot of times I kind of think in terms of starting with kind of a dark canvas and then mm-hmm. I build up highlights and I right. build up where the eye is going to go. And you're doing a very similar thing right. where you're starting with kind of a cooler canvas and you're building up warmth. Exactly. And it's, you know, it's kind of the same kind of thing because you know, we're building up the things that attract the eye. The eye right. is always going to be drawn to those highlights and to that warmth. And we're yep. just kind of, you're doing it through color and I'm doing it through highlights and contrast. And that's, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. And my whole thought process on, you know, uh, highlights and contrast, it's very similar. I always say the magic is in the midtones. If you can get those midtones on point, it just really brings out the tonality in the image that really makes it come to life. It gives it that lifelike feel to it where your contrast and highlights and everything, your contrast color highlights, everything is kind of flowing together. And again, it's something that you build up. It's not something that you just go one adjustment, bam, you know, yeah. and, and it's just done. It's, it's multiple adjustments, you know, along with dodging and burning that really brings everything to light. I will also say when it comes to color, nine times out of 10, Nick, I'm dealing with my colors. A lot of it, a lot of my color work is done in the raw. And with the contrast adjustments and them being subtle, it just kind of adds that little extra pop into the color. So when I get to Photoshop, I honestly don't do a whole lot of color work, you know, just depending on, you know, how well I can work the file and the raw. And, you know, again, I can't stress it enough. If you guys got your tonality down, the colors just kind of flow together. It just kind of comes naturally. I feel like that would make a really great t-shirt, you know, <laughs> like, like the magic's in the midtones or it, like sick midtones, bro. It is. It really is. I think, you know, it's funny too, because I feel like, I don't know now, maybe it's been about nine or 10 years. I'm not a hundred percent sure. When I first started learning pro- Photoshop, there was a uh, member the Tony Kuiper actions, right? Yep. So before he came out with all the videos and you know, all the new high tech stuff, he just had the it was, it was basic selections. And he had this PDF file that would come with the actions downloads. So I remember in the PDF, he had a section on there that I think it was called the magic midtones. And I kind of, I kind of was just laughing at it. because I was like, Oh, you know, that sounds kind of, you know, like a like a cliche thing, magic midtones. And I never really paid attention to it until maybe three years after I read it. And then I was like, oh, shit, it makes sense. It, like, <laughs> yep. it, it, it just like clicked. And I can't you realize you're three years behind the I curve because you I just know. got it. I know. Damn it. <laughs> they tried to tell me three years ago. I know. I was such a moron. It just you know, took me a while to figure it out. But he was right that a lot of this stuff, it comes together in the midtones. And he knew what he was talking about. So <laughs> big ups to Tony Kuiper. Yeah, that's awesome. One yeah, of the yeah. things that really stands out in your work is the fact that you have very open shadows, yet your work is still maintains a lot of contrast. And kind of like you're, what you're saying is it's all about those midtones. A lot of your contrast is living in those midtones. That's right. And that's so cool. Uh, one of the questions that I get asked a whole bunch, and I think you are the perfect person to, to ask this question too, is how do you know when a photo is done? David Thompson, oh. how, do you, how do you know when a photo photo is done. When is enough enough? You want the David Thompson answer to that? Or do you want the the other answer? <laughs> well, let's, the, let's hear the David Thompson answer. So the David Thompson answer is, 
you get done with an image and you let that image sit for about, I don't know, three or four or five months. That, that's the day oh, you wow. talk to And you just let it sit and you go back to that image over and over and over and over and over again. You have to ask yourself, what else more can I do to this image to make it better? And if I can't come up with anything else, then it's done. Um, <laughs> it's done because there's literally nothing else that you right. can think to do to it. All right. Now, if you want the, the other answer, it's, you know, is everything in check? Are your highlights in check? Are the shadows in check? Is your contrast in check? Are your colors in check? Do you have a color cast? Are your reds blown out? Are your blues clipped? You know, that's the other answer that I would, you know, look at if I'm, you know, looking at an image. And don't get me wrong, I do do that to my to my image as well. But that's the other answer that I would say if you're looking at your own work and you want to say, Hey, is it done? Um, what else can you do to the image to make it better? That is such a constant among really good post processors is that they allow their work to sit for a while and they come back to it. Like Aaron Bobnick talks about the incubation period Yes, and you know, your incubation period is so damn long. It's a full grown toddler. (laughs) (laughs) By the time that thing comes out, like you're not, you're not birthing fetuses over here. You're birthing full grown talking little toddlers. It's a, it's a, it's a combination of things. Um, for me, I don't post a lot anyway. Cause like I said, I like to let the work kind of sit, you know, see if it still resonates with me, you know, some months later. The other thing is when I share my work, it's kind of, it's all off of feeling and emotion. You know, one day I may feel like sharing a slot image, you know, maybe. I want to share a little bit of green. Maybe I want to go back to the desert. Maybe I want to show, you know, share this odd aerial image that, you know, nobody has seen. It's all feeling and mood for me. So, I, you know, I don't have the need and the rush to just go out and post. It also gives me time to sit with the images a lot longer. And I feel like that has also developed my eye a little bit more to be a little bit more critical of my words. That totally makes sense because if you sit there and you live with it and you stare at it enough, you you can't help but be more critical eventually. Right. And if you reach a point where you can stare at it for that long and nothing bothers you, it must be done. Right. <laughs> you know? And you know, the other thing too, Nick, is like I'm also one of those kind of guys, I I'm not caught up with the quote unquote perfect image. Because I always look at the landscape that's out there isn't perfect. It has flaws and very seldom do I see a landscape that's perfect. You know, I also try to keep that in mind when, um, you know, when I'm processing, I want the image imagery to be real so people can kind of get a a little bit of a connection to what I'm, what I'm shooting and what I'm seeing, but yet it not be totally out of this world to where people are just like, man, that shit is not even real, man. That's, you know, another one of those, you know, Photoshop, you know, scenes where, you know, he just pieced it all together, which is fine. You know, if that's your thing, but you know, I, I still have to have some kind of, um, realistic feel and approach to what I'm shooting, shooting, what I'm processing and, you know, what I'm seeing. You know, and another different thing about you is you kind of mentioned the fact that you don't share and you don't post a whole lot, but one of the things that you do that's unique, at least nowadays, it probably wouldn't have been unique five years ago or more, 
but you release your work in gallery sets. So you yeah. release a whole bunch of images all at once. You put them up on your website. Yes. You share a link to that. And rather than just like drip feeding an image a day, like a lot of, a lot of us that are yes. very social media minded, <laughs> maybe talk a little bit about like, what, what's your approach as far as like releasing your images in galleries? The thought process there is I get bored really, really, really quick. I'm a Gemini. So my brain is always, always going, always going, always going. And some years ago, I was always saying, and, I, and my buddies can tell you this too. I, you know, I used to tell them, I go, man, wouldn't it be cool if we can go to a location, shoot that location in like say different seasons or, you know, spend two weeks there, you know, just shooting in all kinds of different conditions. And then just sharing all of the images as a whole. And, you know, a couple of my buddies were like, yeah, that'd be cool. And I don't think they really got it at the time, yeah. but you know, it always was like a thing for me. I was always obsessed with that. I don't even know why, but I, I just was. And I think maybe because, you know, the stuff that I was seeing online, like, you know, like you said, it was like image, 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 image. And, you know, and I was like, man, you know, that would be cool to do something a little bit different. You know, when I set my website up, you know, I did all the basic stuff. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it. I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to throw it at the wall, see what happens. And, you know, I'm going to challenge myself and, 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 you know, see if I can make it happen and see how patient I can be and holding out with sharing the imagery. You know, sure enough, I, I did it and it was a success. And then from there, it just, it just kept on you know, going and building and, you know, just coming up with different concepts and different ideas. So that's like the, the, the basis behind it, you know, the meat. For me, I also feel like the visual experience of viewing the images is greater than yeah. just seeing a single image, you know, every other day from, you know, other photographers out there, which, you know, and I'm not knocking <clears throat> those people's work, but I just feel like, you know, I always go, damn, you know, I wish I could get like a little bit more. Oh, I just wish there was a little bit more, you know, I see three images that they've done and, and, you know, it's probably their best work. And you're just like, man, that's so sick. But what happens if there was just like a little bit more You go to Iceland, for example, and you go, Ooh, Iceland is sick. But what happens if I was to see a whole month of Iceland, Iceland? Yeah. That was the concept. That was, you know, the concept and, and, and thought process behind it. So I just use that with my work. You know, it just keeps my mind going and it, I feel like it keeps me fresh visually, um, emotionally, and still keeps me connected to what I'm doing in the field. Um, the other thing that I'll say is that when I get done doing those galleries, Nick, you got to think, I put in months and months and months of work, right? And that's from arranging the images, how they, you know, how they look in the gallery to the process. And, and I feel like after each one of those gallery releases, I feel like my work has gotten a little bit better. Like it's, it's gotten, yeah. my work has gotten a little bit more refined because you're spending so many, so much time with so many different scenes and different images. So think about it like this. You're, you've been, you, you were out in the Faroe Islands, right? So you're out there in the Faroe Islands. I don't know. Let's say you come back with 50 images, right? And 50 images that you think are pretty cool. You're going to have like five that are your favorites. You're going to have 10 that are you like, I really like, then you have another five that you're like, mm, you know, this is okay. So now you're up to 20, 20 images, but you know, you go, you know what? I'm just going to process 40 of them. So you process 40 images from your trip and you're throwing each, you know, you're throwing your, your whole toolbox at each one of these different scenes and not all of them are going to be alike. They're all going to be different. During that process, you have no choice, but to get better at your yeah. processing. You have no choice because you're spending so much time with the imagery 
and you're thinking about different ways and different concepts to approach these images. So when it's all said and done, you have 20 images that can go together in a gallery that make the visual experience of these feral islands like just out of this world, which by the way, your images from there are sick as hell. So but you know, that's, you know, that's what I'm getting at. Like you spend enough time with it, you know, it grows on you. And then you have all of that, that you put into these, you know, 20 plus images, then you go back out into the field, you're shooting again, you're spending time, say for instance, you're spending time in the Palouse. Now you have, you know, another 10 Palouse images with, you know, different, you know, dramatic scenes, you know, you have some clear skies where you're working the soft light and the layers and that kind of thing. So, you know, your, 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 your approach and your thought process can be completely different, but yet you're spending time with each individual image and what you used from the last set of images, you may take a little bit of that and put it into the next set. So you're just constantly building on top of what you already know. And, you know, looking at it from the perspective of what it's like to be the photographer releasing those images, I have to think that it has to be so much more gratifying and motivating to release a huge set of images like that, where you've put a lot of work into each one. And then afterwards, there's just that greater sense of like, I did that. Yes. Because sometimes when you're not releasing stuff in, in big galleries like that, it just sometimes photo trips and you're taking trips to all these different places, coming back with a few pretty images. It, it starts to feel a little bit empty after a while. At least right. it does to me. And I start feeling like, well, why do I even do this? Right. You know, I, I spend all this money taking a whole bunch of photos and then don't sell a damn one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's one way to look at it. And I totally agree with you. And another thing that I'll add with the galleries, you know, cause I've done, you know, different ones and, you know, different theme based ones over the years. And you're right. You get that sense of gratification. But the other thing that I also like about it, Nick, is it, it's almost like a, like a chapter in my book. Yeah. A sense of closure, right? Yes. So when I am done, like I literally, and I tell my wife this all the time, like, Oh, I just got these images done. It feels so good to just have them done. Like dude, they're, they're just done. And regardless if they're, you know, if people like it, you know, that's great if they do, if they don't, that's no big deal either. But it's that, you know, like I did that. You can go back, you know, two, three years from now and look back at your work and go, I did that, you know, three years ago and it took me, you know, two years to put together or however long. It's like I said, it's like a chapter in your, in your book that you, you know, that you're creating, you know, over the years of your, of your photography journey. Yeah. You guys have to make sure that you go over to his website and actually view the images in these gallery sets. Because one of the things looking at these as another photographer that really strikes me is just how consistent and how deep your your portfolio is in all of these. But I just love the way a lot of these galleries go together, especially I think a lot of people, they when they think of you, they think of the, the fall color bayou photos that you have. And is that Everglades or is that somewhere else? Uh, I, I will say it is um, without giving up too much information <laughs> right. on, you know, on this public forum here and your thousands of listeners out it's down there, there somewhere. <laughs> It's, it's down South. I'll, I'll say it's down South and, you know, people need to, to keep in mind that these swamp areas extend from Texas to Florida and North up into the Carolinas and, you know, and then parts into the Midwest. So 
If you guys are out there looking for swamps, there's tons of swamps out there to shoot. Right. We'll do, we'll that. just say Mesa <laughs> Arch Bayou Edition. Perfect. <laughs> I, I love it. Mesa Arch Bayou Edition. There you go. Um, the swamp images are are different. This is an area that I've been wanting to shoot for. Man, this is probably going back to 2009, 2010-ish. Um, funny story about that though. Um, real quick, um, your buddy, Adam Gibbs, I had, um, <laughs> had reached out to him, uh, bless his soul, rest in peace, uh, David Chavin, um, Flores Bambule. And there was maybe one other photographer that I reached out to. Cause at this time, this is when I was, you know, getting into the photography a little bit more and I was trying to, you know, learn my post-processing and I reached out to all of these guys and you know, everybody was helpful. Everybody was, you know, pretty cool. Um, but there was one guy in particular, like I said, David Chavin, who he was one of the first guys that I had seen that had shot the swamps. And I had always been intrigued with those images because you just didn't see it. It was just something different. It was something new. It was something fresh. It was weird. It was, uh, scary, but dauntingly beautiful at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I've always said, I'm like, I'm going to go down there. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to shoot that area. And this is, mind you, this is back in, like I said, 2009, 2010. And now we're looking at maybe like three or four years ago, four years ago. Now my wife and I, we just, we went down there and I told her, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to go. I'm going to check it out and we'll see what happens. We went down there. We had the time of our lives. Amazing. It was one of the best experiences that I've had because there was nobody around. Silent. That's cool. Dead. Quiet. Not another person around. And, you know, it, it does take, it takes a little bit of motivation, I guess you can say, to um, encourage to get out there on a kayak and paddle around these, these swamps and you know, go take pictures and not knowing what the hell is that in that water and whatever else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, We've all seen Lake Placid. That yeah, can right. be a good idea. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, if you go to the swamps, don't watch Lake Placid. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but yeah, it's it's an awesome place, man. It's 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 enchanting. Uh, it's so beautiful. Um, there's no place like it that I've been to. It's 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 starting to become a little bit more of a popular place. I'm, I'm sure you're going to start seeing a lot more uh, images from the area and, and whatnot. But um, you know, if you're willing to get out there and try something different, and you know, get out your car and get off the beaten path, then you know, the the swamps is a, a good place to do that. Another thing that kind of stands out about the the types of images that you create is that a lot of it is not it's not iconic. You're not going out and shooting a bunch of icons. Like if oh, you no. dig deep enough in your portfolio, I'm sure some of your earlier stuff, yeah. you'll start recognizing some of those places. I mean, you have places in Utah that other people shoot, but you don't shoot them the same way. You're not after the postcard shot. And I love that about your work. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. You know, look, I don't have any problems with icons. I think that we all need to start off of there. We need to we need to start off there because it's a good starting point for us as uh, as artists. With that being said, over time, you know, you, you the 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 hope is that you get past that the iconic stage, and you start looking outside of the box and trying to shoot different stuff. If you go to those icons, um, what are you going to do different? 
challenge yourself. You know, it, it may not be the postcard image. It may not, but you know, you never know. You might come back with something that is, you know, fresh and new that people totally love. Um, but for me, as time has gone on, I, you know, I try to do something a little bit different and don't get me wrong. I'll get out there and I'll shoot icons all day. If the conditions are, you know, the way, you know, I would like them to be, but you know, we have to, we got to grow. We got to get past the, the iconic stage and, you know, try to do something a little bit different. And I just think that it just helps with our overall development as artists and it helps with our vision. It helps with our uh, composition and it helps with our eye and all that other good stuff. I totally agree. I mean, when you're first getting started with photography, nothing would be more overwhelming and frustrating than like going into the middle of a forest and being ex- expecting it to come away with good photos because it's so challenging. But oh my God. you know, when you're first getting started and you go to like, you know, uh, reflection Lake or Tipsu Lake or somewhere yeah. where it's just totally teed up for you, it gets you in a, a nice photogenic area to start practicing your photography skills and then you grow from there and you start going after these slightly more challenging areas where maybe it's not teed up for you and you have to work for it but that's the fun part of it is like you're continuing to push yourself and continuing to grow and that's why i think a lot of times you see photographers progress towards these a little bit more abstract a little bit more chaotic scenes because we're challenging ourselves we, we don't want to just do the easy thing over and over and over we want to try to do something different try to do something a little bit more challenging that's right hey speaking of which um speaking of chaotic scenes um those four scenes that you shot what was that scotland yes it was because light sucked but <laughs> but, yeah, I, you know, but i'm curious what were your thoughts on that because i think you guys did an excellent job and i was looking at your guys images from there and i was amazed those images that you guys got from there were insane but um how was how was that for you um, it was those it's it's always challenging because i didn't go to scotland and expecting to photograph that like at all right but so i was driving around trying to look for you know the classic scotland like i was looking for rolling hills and locks and you know <laughs> i was looking for that stuff yeah. Yeah. and all i could really find were some really cool gnarly trees so i just kind of gravitated towards what i felt i could photograph and come right. away with something decent from because i was there for a, a week and damn it. I was going to photograph something. Yeah, <laughs> so. well, you, you guys did a great job. Um, with those, I was, I was like, wow. I mean, you guys had me like, okay, I need to go to Scotland and find some, <laughs> some gnarled up trees. It was cool. I, I'll tell you though, uh, midges, that's the real deal. I've never experienced a midge before. Like I didn't even, I'd never heard of one. Yeah. But they are really annoying. So like, awful. Yeah. Cause those are like those little like gnat mosquito type things, right? Yeah, they're like a gnat that bites and they're thick. They're uh, aggressive and terrible. That's <laughs> gross. I hate bugs. By the way, anybody listening to this, like I said, you know, you're thousands of listeners out there. Um, I don't like bugs. I don't like creepy crawlers. I don't like spiders, scorpions, snakes, anything <laughs> with legs and crawls, mosquitoes. I despise this mosquitoes. I, I wish they would just get rid of mosquitoes completely. I wish they would disappear from the earth. So <laughs> you sound so outdoorsy right now, man. <laughs> oh God. I, I hate them. I hate bugs. <laughs> I hate them. I'm an outdoor snob. You know, what do you want me to say? <laughs> Glamping around the world. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. In my, uh, you know, in the back of my truck with all the amenities, right? 
<laughs> yep. Last time you were on, we were telling funny stories the whole time. Do you have do you have anything new for us? Uh, actually, I do. Um, it kind of it kind of goes into some stuff that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> you know, talking about vision and you know doing different things and experience and our journey with photography. This is a, a great story to all your drone users out there. This is a, a good one for you guys. So. I remember the day like it was yesterday because it was on my birthday, May 26th uh, of this year. I'm not going to say where I was flying at, <laughs> but it was uh, an area that I, you know, I did some research on Google Earth and, you know, I was like, oh, this looks pretty cool. It's like these like cool, like river delta ish, you know, fingers and colors and blues and, you know, sand and, you know, all kinds of cool stuff. Now, one of the things with, these aerial drone images is like when you go out, <clears throat> you get these, you get an idea from Google Earth and you get these images, these images that you see on Google Earth uh, of the maps. And, you know, you don't know what exactly is going to be out there because, you know, it's taken from way up in the sky. I mean, you know, yeah. they, the pictures can be from three years ago. I don't know, you know, but you, you get an idea of what's there. So I did my research and really extensive research, which, you know, I, I typically do. And I was like, okay, this area looks good. You know, I checked for no fly zones, the whole nine. I'm like, everything's good. It's in the clear. Okay, bam, let's go. So I go out there, I go out there first thing in the morning, you know, I'm just kind of like, you know, do my, my daily thing, you know, daily routine when it comes to drone flying, checking the weather, weather's good, get out there start the drone up, you know, making sure all my settings are good, you know, look at my map, make sure I'm going the right direction. Everything is great. Flying around first battery, you know, the first battery is usually like the test flight to kind of see what's out there to, you know, to make sure that your research is, is good, you know, and make sure that you're not completely failing and not reading these <laughs> maps like a complete fool, which I wasn't, thank God. But, um, so I'm out there doing my thing. The first set of images that I took, pretty cool these cool like river deltas is almost looking like iceland to be quite honest with you um really 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 cool first battery goes off without a hitch bam no problems i'm and i'm geeked up because on the way back what i typically do is i'll kind of like I'll, I'll save a little bit of battery so on my on my flight back to the home spot i can kind of look at the area as i'm coming back so when i go back out i can kind of fly over that area take my shots and then go to something else so I go, I'm out there, you know, doing my thing, you know, get these cool pictures. Everything is looking good. I'm getting geeked up. The sun is starting to come up. So, you know, you're starting to get that nice, soft, warm light. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to be good. So I pop in second battery, go up, fly out to my spot. And I'm at this point, I'm going nuts. I'm like, I don't know, maybe less than 10 minutes in. Still got a full battery and I'm going off, Nick. I mean, these shots, I'm like, oh, these are going to be it. This is it. The light is looking good. The colors, I'm like, oh, damn, look at, you know, and I'm like a little kid in the candy store when I'm flying this drone because, you know, the, the landscape that you're seeing from above is, it's amazing. It's, it's just like out of this world, completely different. So I'm, I'm going off. I am letting loose. I am taking image after image. I mean, different heights, you know, different, you know, Altitudes and mind you, I didn't go over 400 feet. Um, I stayed well below the, you know, the the required amount. I followed all the rules. I was doing everything I needed to do, having a great time. Oh, about 14 minutes into the flight, drone disconnected from your controller. 
Okay. Oh no. <laughs> okay. I've, I've had this happen before. I've, I've had this happen before. No problem. Reset, you know, reset the controller, reset my phone, you know, everything should be good. Nothing, nothing came back on. I was like, okay, no problem. No time to panic. It's all right. You know, we got 25 minutes of battery life. We're only 14 minutes in. We still got time for it to, you know, come back home if it needs to. So I'm hitting the return home button, hitting the return home button, and uh, aircraft is disconnected from the controller. Okay. I can, I'm going to be cool. I'm going to be cool. You know, no problem. Five minutes goes by. I'm like, oh, damn. You know, we're getting close to the 25 minutes. You know, 23 minutes. And then my heart starts to pound and race a little bit. Now I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, okay, we're 25 minutes in and I don't hear anything. Now, mind you, I didn't even fly the drone that far out. I was maybe a little over half a mile, a little over half a mile. And 30 minutes goes by, 35 minutes goes by. And I'm like, I just lost a damn drone. I just lost a drone in the middle of, I don't know where drone is gone. Boom. (laughs) Poof. Disappeared into thin air. So the bad thing about this is that there was no warnings, no low, you know, low batteries, no wind warnings, no fly zone warnings, no nothing, nothing. Just randomly disappeared. Poof into thin air. So I lost my first drone on my birthday. What a great birthday present. So you didn't go looking for it or anything? I couldn't because where, where I was flying at was like, it was like all marshy and like kind of like swampy. Oh no! So. There was no way in hell that I, I could get across this marshland of who knows what's out there to try and go retrieve it. I went back and looked at my flight records. Nothing. It just disappeared. And the unfortunate thing is I called DJI and was, you know, was willing to, you know, give them my flight records. So I just at least wanted to know, you know, if there was something that I did that I did wrong. And they were like, well, you don't have a warranty. It's, it's out of warranty. So we, we can't do anything. I have no idea why my drone just poof, disappeared in the thin air. That's suspicious. That's I was crazy. like, I'm it's like envisioning crazy. some kind of like military, <laughs> like somebody was out there and shot it down. Dude, I don't know. It's the craziest thing. Like I'm still like <clears throat> even like lost. I haven't shared, by the way, I've only shared this story with like three of my friends. So, you know, now everybody has the whole, you know, the whole scoop on <laughs> why I haven't been flying a drone as of recent. So if you um, found David Thompson's drone, <laughs> please return to, <laughs> you know, what the thing is, I'm going to tell you, the be honest with you, the biggest thing for me wasn't even the drone itself. I just want my memory card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I just want the memory card. But you know, like after 30 minutes it's like, Oh shit, I just lost a drone. <laughs> but terrible feeling. It, it's the worst feeling. But you know what? After about five minutes, that kind of, it kind of passed because when I, when I think about it, a, you're flying a drone, you're flying something out into, you know, these elements, right? And anything can happen. So you, it's kind of like an inherent risk that you take when you purchase a drone that, you know, you could possibly lose your shit. Um, (laughs) The second thing though, and I think it's more of um, a personal gratification is that, that I've done so much work with the drone and created a bunch of different images with it. And a lot that I haven't shared to the public yet that 
the loss of it didn't bother me that much. I don't know if that's kind of weird, but it, it yeah, because you you got your some money, you got your money's worth out of it. Oh, I got my know? money's worth and then some. Because you got to think, I had that drone for over two years and then never had a mishap. I'm probably one of the most cautious flyers out there. Like if you go flying with like Miles or Ryan, those <laughs> dudes are wild boys. Like just. <laughs> All I got to say, if they take off around you, just make sure you're ducking because they will they will fly into you and they have like no shame. Like, you know, the drone will go up, you know, it goes up a good, you know, 20 or 30 feet. And then, you know, it's all nice and easy. Then you kind of take off and go about your way. These guys, the drone, the second the drone takes off the ground, like it's two in inches, sport mode. It's in, exactly. It's in sport mode and it's like, watch out, move out the way. <laughs> and those guys, when they fly the drone, they are nuts. Like I am nothing, nowhere even close to how they fly. I'm all cautious. You know, I'm all like, Oh, you know, I got to make sure, you know, I got enough time to get back. So, you know, I don't lose the drone out there to a dead battery or anything like that. I'm all cautious. These guys, these guys fly like maniacs and they, they don't even lose their stuff. It's, it's right. crazy. So yeah, I, it, it's, you know, it's one of those things, like I said, I guess it'd be different. Like if I would just got it, I would have been heartbroken, but I guess since I had quite a bit of time with the drone, it wasn't as devastating to me as I thought it would. So. And you know, on the upside, you get to buy a new drone. I know, but <laughs> here's the thing though, Nick, I don't know what these guys are doing. You know, I had the, um, I have the Phantom 4 Advance, right? Mm-hmm. So they just completely discontinued the Phantom series. So was that leaving me just with the Mavic or some shit like that? Yeah, you're going to end up having to get like a Mavic Pro 3, maybe, uh, when it uh, finally comes out, because it'll have a bigger sensor probably. Yeah, so I'm kind of stuck. Like, I want to get another drone, but like, do I get another one right now? Or do I wait? Or what do I do? I don't know yeah. what to do. So there you go. That's a good story for you guys out there that, you know, fly drones, just make sure you guys are careful with your stuff. And you know, it's a, it's a, it's a risk. And I'm sure all you guys know that. <laughs> yep. It can happen to the best of us. Uh, well, I'm not the best, but you know, it, it, <laughs> stuff happens. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, man. Make sure that you go and check out his website. His work is, you know, I talk about it for good reason. It's really, really beautiful, awesome stuff. And it's awesome to talk to you again, man. Yeah, man, Nick, I appreciate everything. I appreciate all the kind words that you you said um, about my work. I, I greatly appreciate it and it means a lot. All right. Well, we will catch you guys later and we'll see you in the next episode. Take it easy, everybody. Peace.